0: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Stories for the Road and Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson. Today, chapters 10 through 12, beginning with chapter 10, The Siege of the Roundhouse. By now our time of truce was come to an end. Those on deck had waited for my coming till they grew impatient, and scarce had Alan spoken when the captain showed face in the open door. Stand, cried Alan, and pointed his sword at him. THE CAPTAIN STOOD, INDEED, BUT HE NEITHER WINCED NOR DREW BACK A FOOT. "'A naked sword?' says he. "'This is a strange return for hospitality.' "'Do ye see me?' said Alan. "'I am come of kings. I bear king's name. My badge is the oak. Do ye see my sword? It has slashed the heads off more wigamores than you have toes upon your feet. Call up your vermin to your back, sir, and fall on. The sooner the clash begins—' "'the sooner you'll taste this steel throughout your vitals.' "'The captain said nothing to Alan, "'but he looked over at me with an ugly look. "'David,' said he, "'I'll mind this.' "'And the sound of his voice went through me with a jar. "'Next moment he was gone. "'And now,' said Alan, "'let your hand keep your head, "'for the grip is coming.' "'Alan drew a dirk, "'which he held in his left hand "'in case they should run in under his sword. "'I, on my part,' "'clambered up into the berth with an armful of pistols "'and something of a heavy heart, "'and set open the window where I was to watch. "'It was a small part of the deck that I could overlook, "'but enough for our purpose. "'The sea had gone down, and the wind was steady "'and kept the sails quiet, "'so that there was a great stillness in the ship, "'in which I made sure I heard the sound of muttering voices. "'A little after, and there came a clash of steel upon the deck, "'by which I knew they were dealing out the cutlasses, "'and one had been let fall.' And after that, silence again. I do not know if it was what you call afraid, but my heart beat like a bird's, both quick and little, and there was a dimness came before my eyes which I continually rubbed away, and which continually returned. As for hope, I had none, but only a darkness of despair and a sort of anger against all the world that made me long to sell my life as dear as I was able. I tried to pray, I remember. "'but that same hurry of my mind, like a man running, "'would not suffer me to think upon the words, "'and my chief wish was to have the thing begin "'and to be done with it. "'It came all of a sudden when it did, "'with a rush of feet and a roar, "'and then a shout from Alan, "'and a sound of blows and someone crying out as if hurt. "'I looked back over my shoulder "'and saw Mr. Schwann in the doorway, "'crossing blades with Alan. "'That's him that killed the boy,' I cried. "'Look to your window,' said Alan. "'and as I turned my back to my place, "'I saw him pass his sword through the mate's body. "'It was none too soon for me to look to my own part, "'for my head was scarce back at the window "'before five men, carrying a spare yard for a battering ram, "'ran past me and took post to drive the door in. "'I had never fired with a pistol in my life, "'and not often with a gun, "'far less against a fellow creature. "'But it was now or never, "'and just as they swang the yard, I cried out, "'Take that!' and shot into their midst.' "'I must have hit one of them, for he sang out and gave back a step, "'and the rest stopped as if a little disconcerted. "'Before they had time to recover, I sent another ball over their heads, "'and at my third shot, which went as wide as the second, "'the whole party threw down the yard and ran for it. "'Then I looked round again into the deck-house. "'The whole place was full of the smoke of my own firing, "'just as my ears seemed to be burst with the noise of the shots. "'But there was Alan, standing as before.' "'only now his sword was running blood to the hilt, "'and himself so swelled with triumph "'and fallen into so fine an attitude "'that he looked to be invincible. "'Right before him on the floor was Mr. Schwan, "'on his hands and knees. "'The blood was pouring from his mouth, "'and he was sinking slowly lower "'with a terrible, white face. "'And just as I looked, "'some of those from behind caught hold of him by the heels "'and dragged him bodily out of the roundhouse. "'I believe he died as they were doing that. "'There's one of your wigs for you,' "'cried Alan, and then turning to me, "'he asked if I had done much execution. "'I told him I had winged one "'and thought it was the captain. "'And I've settled, too,' says he. "Now there's not enough blood let. "'They'll be back again. "'To your watch, David. "'This was but a dram before the meat. "'I settled back to my place, "'recharging the three pistols I had fired, "'and keeping watch with both eye and ear. "'Our enemies were disputing, "'not far off upon the deck,' "'and that so loudly I could hear a word or two "'above the washing of the seas. "'It was Schwann who bungled it,' I heard one say. "'And another answered him with a, "'Whoesh, man! He's paid the piper.' "'After that the voices fell again "'into the same muttering as before, "'only now one person spoke most of the time "'as though laying down a plan, "'and first one and then another "'answered him briefly, like men taking orders. "'By this I made sure they were coming on again, "'and I told Alan.' It's what we have to pray for, said he, unless we can give them a good distaste of us, and done with it, there will be no sleep for either you or me. But this time, mind, they'll be in earnest. By this my pistols were ready, and there was nothing to do but listen and wait. While the brush lasted, I had not the time to think if I was frightened. But now, when all was still again, my mind ran upon nothing else. The thought of the sharp swords and the cold steel was strong in me, and presently, when I began to hear stealthy steps and a brushing of men's clothes against the roundhouse wall, and knew they were taking their places in the dark, I could have found it in my mind to cry out aloud. All this was upon Alan's side, and I had begun to think my share of the fight was at an end, when I heard someone drop softly on the roof above me. Then there came a single call on the sea pipe, and that was the signal. A knot of them made one rush of it, cutlass in hand, against the door, and at the same moment. The glass of the skylight was dashed in a thousand pieces, and a man leaped through and landed on the floor. Before he got his feet, I had clapped a pistol to his back and might have shot him too, only at the touch of him-and him alive-my whole flesh misgave me, and I could no more pull the trigger than I could have flown. He had dropped his cutlass as he jumped, and when he felt the pistol, whipped straight round and laid hold of me, roaring out an oath, and at that either my courage came again, or I grew so much afraid as came to the same thing. "'for I gave a shriek and shot him in the midst of the body. "'He gave the most horrible, ugly groan and fell to the floor. "'The foot of a second fellow, "'whose legs were dangling through the skylight, "'struck me at the same time upon the head, "'and at that I snatched another pistol "'and shot this one through the thigh, "'so that he slipped through and tumbled in a lump "'on his companion's body. "'There was no talk of missing, "'any more than there was time to aim. "'I clapped the muzzle to the very place and fired. "'I might have stood and stared at them for long, "'but I heard Alan shout as for help, and that brought me to my senses. "'He had kept the door so long, but one of the seamen, "'while he was engaged with others, had run in under his guard "'and caught him about the body. "'Alan was dirking him with his left hand, but the fellow clung like a leech. "'Another had broken in and had his cutlass raised. "'The door was thronged with their faces. "'I thought we were lost, and, catching up my cutlass, fell on them in flank. "'But I had not time to be of help.' THE wrestler DROPPED AT LAST, AND ALAN, LEAPING BACK TO GET HIS DISTANCE, RAN UPON THE OTHERS LIKE A BULL, ROARING AS HE WENT. THEY BROKE BEFORE HIM LIKE WATER, TURNING AND RUNNING, AND FALLING ONE AGAINST ANOTHER IN THEIR HASTE. THE SWORD IN HIS HANDS FLASHED LIKE QUICKSILVER INTO THE HUDDLE OF FLEEING ENEMIES, AND AT EVERY FLASH THERE CAME THE SCREAM OF A MAN HURT. I WAS STILL THINKING WE WERE LOST, WHEN, LO, THEY WERE ALL GONE, AND ALAN WAS DRIVING THEM ALONG THE DECK AS A SHEEPDOG CHASES SHEEP. Yet he was no sooner out than he was back again, being as cautious as he was brave. And meanwhile, the seamen continued running and crying out as if he was still behind them, and we heard them tumble upon one another into the forecastle and clap to the hatch upon the top. The roundhouse was like a shambles. Three were dead inside. Another lay in his death agony across the threshold, and there were Alan and I, victorious and unhurt. He came up to me with open arms. "Come to me!" he cried. AND EMBRACED AND KISSED ME HARD UPON BOTH CHEEKS. DAVID, SAID HE, I LOVE YOU LIKE A BROTHER, AND, OH, MAN, HE CRIED IN A KIND OF ecstasy. AM I NOT A bonny FIGHTER? THEREUPON HE TURNED TO THE FOUR ENEMIES, PASSED HIS SWORD CLEAN THROUGH EACH OF THEM, AND TUMBLED THEM OUT OF DOORS ONE AFTER THE OTHER. AS HE DID SO, HE KEPT HUMMING AND SINGING AND WHISTLING TO HIMSELF, LIKE A MAN TRYING TO RECALL AN AIR. ONLY WHAT HE WAS TRYING WAS TO MAKE ONE. All the while, the flush was in his face, and his eyes were as bright as a five-year-old child's with a new toy. And presently he sat down upon the table, sword in hand. The air that he was making all the time began to run a little clearer, and then clearer still, and then he burst with a great voice into a Gaelic song. I have translated it here, not in verse, of which I have no skill, but at least in the king's English. He sang it often afterwards, and the thing became popular, so that I have heard it, and had it explained to me. MANY'S THE TIME. THIS IS THE SONG OF THE SWORD OF ALAN. THE SMITH MADE IT. THE FIRE SET IT. NOW IT SHINES IN THE HAND OF ALAN BRICK. THEIR EYES WERE MANY AND BRIGHT. SWIFT WERE THEY TO BEHOLD. MANY THE HANDS THEY GUIDED. THE SWORD WAS ALONE. THE DUN DEER TROOP OVER THE HILL. THERE ARE MANY. THE HILL IS ONE. THE DUN DEER VANISH. THE HILL REMAINS. COME TO ME FROM THE HILLS OF HEATHER. COME FROM THE ISLES OF THE SEA. O far beholding eagles, here is your meat. Now, this song which he made, both words and music, in the hour of our victory, is something less than just to me, who stood beside him in the tussle. Mr. Swan and five more either were killed outright or thoroughly disabled, but of these, two fell by my hand, the two that came by the skylight. Four more were hurt, and of that number, four more were hurt, and of that number, one. "'and he not the least important, "'got his hurt from me, "'so that altogether "'I did my fair share "'both of the killing "'and the wounding "'and might have claimed "'a place in Allen's verses. "'But poets have to think "'upon their rhymes, "'and in good prose talk "'always did me "'more than justice. "'In the meanwhile "'I was innocent "'of any wrong being done me, "'for not only "'I knew no word "'of the Gaelic, "'but what with the long "'suspense of the waiting "'and the scurry "'and strain "'of our two spurts "'of fighting, "'and more than all, "'The horror I had of some of my own share in it, "'the thing was no sooner over "'than I was glad to stagger to a seat. "'There was that tightness on my chest "'that I could hardly breathe. "'The thought of the two men I had shot "'sat upon me like a nightmare, "'and all of a sudden, "'and before I had a guess of what was coming, "'I began to sob and cry like any child. "'Allen clapped my shoulder "'and said I was a brave lad "'and wanted nothing but a sleep. "'I'll take the first watch,' said he. "'You've done well by me, David, first and last, "'and I wouldn't lose you for all appin'. "'No, not for the Brittlebane. "'So I made up my bed on the floor, "'and he took the first spell, pistol in hand and sword on knee, three hours by the captain's watch upon the wall. "'Then he roused me up, and I took my turn of three hours, "'before the end of which it was a broad day, "'and a very quiet morning, with a smooth rolling sea "'that tossed the ship and made the blood run to and fro "'on the roundhouse floor.' And a heavy rain that drummed upon the roof. All my watch there was nothing stirring, and by the banging of the helm, I knew they had even no one at the tiller. Indeed, as I learned afterwards, there were so many of them hurt or dead, and the rest in so ill a temper, that Mr. Riach and the captain had to take turn and turn like Alan and me, or the brig might have gone ashore and nobody the wiser. It was a mercy the night had fallen so still, for the wind had gone down as soon as the rain began. Even as it was, I judged by the wailing of a great number of gulls that went crying and fishing round the ship that she must have drifted pretty near the coast or one of the islands of the Hebrides. And at last, looking out of the door of the roundhouse, I saw the great stone hills of sky on the right hand, and a little more astern, the strange isle of Rum. We'll return with Chapter 11 right after this sponsor message. And now Chapter 11, The Captain Knuckles Under. And now, Chapter 11, The Captain Knuckles Under. Alan and I sat down to breakfast about six of the clock. The floor was covered with broken glass, and in a horrid mess of blood, which took away my hunger. In all other ways we were in a situation not only agreeable, but merry, having ousted the officers from their own cabin, and having at command all the drink in the ship, both wine and spirits, and all the dainty part of what was edible, such as the pickles and the fine sort of bread. This of itself was enough to set us in good humor, but the richest part of it was this, that the two thirstiest men that ever came out of Scotland, Mr. Schwan being dead, were now shut in the fore part of the ship and condemned to what they hated most, cold water. And depend upon it, Alan said. We shall hear more of them ere long. You may keep a man from the fighting, but never from his bottle. We made good company for each other. Alan indeed expressed himself most lovingly, "'and taking a knife from the table, "'cut me off one of the silver buttons from his coat. "'I had them,' says he, "'from my father, Duncan Stewart, "'and now give ye one of them to be a keepsake "'for last night's work. "'And wherever ye go and show that button, "'the friends of Allan Breck will come round you.' "'He said this as if he had been Charlemagne "'and commanded armies, "'and indeed, much as I admired his courage, "'I was always in danger of smiling at his vanity. "'In danger, I say,' "'for had I not kept my countenance, "'I would be afraid to think what a quarrel might have followed. "'As soon as we were through with our meal, "'he rummaged in the captain's locker till he found a clothes-brush, "'and then, taking off his coat, "'began to visit his suit and brush away the stains, "'with such care and labor as I supposed "'to have been only usual with women. "'To be sure, he had no other, "'and besides, as he said, "'it belonged to a king, "'and so behoved to be royally looked after. "'For all that,' "'When I saw what Kerry took to pluck out the threads "'where the button had been cut away, "'I put a higher value on his gift. "'He was still so engaged when we were hailed by Mr. Riosh from the deck, "'asking for a parley, "'and I, climbing to the skylight and sitting on the edge of it, "'pistol in hand and with a bold front, "'though inwardly in fear of broken glass, "'hailed him back again and bade him speak out. "'He came to the edge of the roundhouse and stood on a coil of rope, "'so that his chin was on a level with the roof, "'and we looked at each other quite a while in silence.' "'Mr. Riosh, as I do not think he had been very forward in the battle, "'got off with nothing worse than a blow upon the cheek. "'But he looked out of heart and very weary, "'having been all night afoot, "'either standing watch or doctoring the wounded. "'This is a bad job,' said he at last, shaking his head. "'It was none of our choosing,' said I. "'The captain,' says he, "'would like to speak with your friend. "'They might speak at the window.' "'And how do we know what treachery he means?' cried I. "'He means none, David,' returned Mr. Riach. "'And if he did, I'll tell you the honest truth. "'We could not get the men to follow.' "'Is that so?' said I. "'I'll tell you more than that,' said he. "'It's not only the men. It's me. "'I'm frightened, Davy.' "'And he smiled across at me. "'No,' he continued, "'what we want is to be shut of him. "'What we want is to be shut of the captain.' "'Thereupon I consulted with Alan, "'and the parley was agreed to "'and parole given upon either side. "'But this was not the whole of Mr. Rios's business, "'and he now begged me for a dram "'with such instancy and such reminders "'of his former kindness, "'that at last I handed him a pannikin "'with about a gill of brandy. "'He drank a part, "'and then carried the rest down upon the deck "'to share it, I suppose, with the captain. "'A little after, "'the captain came, as was agreed, "'to one of the windows, "'and stood there in the rain, "'with his arm in a sling, "'and looking stern and pale, "'and so old that my heart smote me "'for having fired upon him. "'Allen at once held a pistol in his face. "'Put that thing up,' said the captain. "'Have I not passed my word, sir, "'or do you seek to affront me?' "'Captain,' says Allen, "'I doubt your word is a-breakable. "'Last night ye naggled an argobargo "'like an apple-wife, "'and then passed me your word, "'and gave me your hand to back it. "'And ye ken very well "'what was the upshot of that. "'Be damned to your word.' "'says he. "'Well, well, sir,' said the captain. "'You'll get little good by swearing.' "'And truly that was one of the faults "'of which the captain was quite free. "'But we have other things to speak,' "'he continued, bitterly. "'You've made a sore hash of my brig. "'I haven't hands enough left to work her, "'and my first officer, whom I could ill spare, "'has got your sword throughout his vitals "'and passed without speech. "'There's nothing left me, sir, "'but to put back into the port of Glasgow after hands.' "'and there, by your leave, you will find them that are better able to talk to you.' I," said Alan, "'and Faith, I'll have a talk with them myself. "'Unless there's nobody speaks English in that town, I have a bonny tale for them. fifteen Terry sailors upon the one side, and a man and a halfling boy upon the other. "'Oh, man, it's pitiful.' Hoseason season flushed red.' "'No,' continued Alan, "'that'll not do. You'll just have to set me ashore as we agreed.' "'Aye,' said Hoseason, "'but my first officer's dead. Ye can best how. "'There's none of the rest of us "'acquaint with this coast, sir, "'and it's one very dangerous to ships.' "'I give you your choice,' "'says Alan, "'and it's one very dangerous to ships.' "'I give you your choice,' "'says Alan. "'Set me on dry ground in Appen, "'or Ardgor, or in Morvin, "'or Arisag, or Moror, "'or, in brief, where ye please.' "'within thirty miles of me own country, "'except in a country of the Campbells. "'That's a broad target. "'If ye miss that, you must be as feckless at the sailor "'as I found ye at the fighting. "'Why, my poor country people and their bit cobbles "'pass from island to island in all weathers, "'ay, and by night, too, for the matter of that.' "'A coble's not a ship, sir,' said the captain. "'It's a nigh draught of water.' "'Well, then, to Glasgow, if ye list,' says Alan. "'We'll have the laugh of ye at the least.' "'My mind runs little upon laughing,' said the captain. "'But all this will cost money, sir.' "'Well, sir,' says Alan, "'I am nigh weathercock. Thirty guineas, if you land me on the seaside, "'and sixty, if you put me in the linlock. "'But see, sir, where we lie, "'we're but a few hours sail from Ard Merkin,' said Ho-Season. "'Give me sixty, and I'll set you there.' "'And I'm to wear my brogues "'and run jeopardy of the redcoats to please you?' "'cries Alan. "'No, sir.' "'If you want sixty guineas, earn them, "'and set me in my own country.' "'It's to risk the brig for me, sir,' said the captain, "'and your own lives along with her.' "'Take it or want it,' says Alan. "'Could ye pilot us at all?' asked the captain, who was frowning to himself. "'Well, it's doubtful,' said Alan. "'I'm more of a fighting man, as you've seen for yourself, "'than a sailor man. "'But I've been often enough picked up and set down upon this coast, "'and should ken something of the lie of it.' "'The captain shook his head, still frowning. "'If I had lost less money on this unchancy cruise,' says he, "'I would see you in a rope's end before I risked my brig, sir. "'But be it as you will. "'As soon as I get a slant of wind, and there's some coming, "'or I'm the more mistaken, I'll put it in hand. "'But there's one thing more. "'We may meet him with a king's ship, and she may lay us aboard, sir, "'with no blame of mine. "'They keep the cruisers thick upon this coast. "'Ye can, who for?' "'Now, sir, if that was to befall, ye might leave the money.' "'Captain,' says Alan, "'if ye see a pennant, it shall be your part to run away. "'And now, as I hear you're a little short of brandy in the forepart, "'I'll offer ye a change, a bottle of brandy against two buckets of water.' "'That was the last clause of the treaty, "'and was duly executed on both sides, "'so that Alan and I could at last wash out the roundhouse, "'and he quit of the memorials of those whom we had slain.' And the captain and Mr. Riosh could be happy again in their own way, the name of which was Drake. We'll return with chapter 12 right after this sponsor message. Support for
1: this podcast and the following message come from Corrient.
0: And now, Chapter 12 of Kidnapped, by Robert Louis Stevenson. Before we had done cleaning out the roundhouse, a breeze sprang up from a little to the east of north. This blew off the rain and brought out the sun. And here I must explain, and the reader would do well to look at a map. On the day when the fog fell and we ran down Allen's boat, we had been running through the little minch. At dawn after the battle, we lay becalmed to the east of the Isle of Canna, or between that and the Isle Ariska in the chain of the Long Island. Now to get from there to the Linlock, the straight course was through the narrows of the sound of Mull. But the captain had no chart. He was afraid to trust his brig so deep among the islands, and the wind serving well, he preferred to go by west of Tyree and come up under the southern coast of the great isle of Mull. All day the breeze held in the same point, and rather freshened than died down, and towards afternoon "'a swell began to set in from around the outer Hebrides. "'Our course, to go round the inner isles, "'was to the west of the south, "'so that at first we had this swell upon our beam "'and were much roiled about. "'But after nightfall, when we had turned the end of Tyree "'and began to head more to the east, "'the sea came right astern. "'Meanwhile, the early part of the day, "'before the swell came up, was very pleasant, "'sailing, as we were, in a bright sunshine "'and with many mountainous islands upon different sides.' Allan and I sat in the roundhouse "'with the doors open on each side, "'the wind being straight astern, "'and smoked a pipe or two of the captain's fine tobacco. "'It was at this time we heard each other's stories, "'which was more important to me, "'as I gained some knowledge of that wild highland country "'on which I was so soon to land. "'In those days, so close on the back of the Great Rebellion, "'it was needful a man should know what he was doing "'when he went upon the heather. "'It was I that showed the example, "'telling him all my misfortune,' But he heard with a great good nature. "'Only when I came up to mention that good friend of mine, "'Mr. Campbell the Minister, "'Alan fired up and cried out that he hated all that were of that name. "'Why,' said I, "'he a man you should be proud to give your hand to.' "'I would know nothing I would help a Campbell too,' says he, "'unless it was a leaden bullet. "'I would hunt all of that name like black cocks. "'If I lay dying, I would crawl upon my knees "'to my chamber window for a shot at one.' "'Why, Alan,' I cried, "'what ails ye at the Campbells?' "'Well,' says he, "'ye can very well that I am an Appin steward, "'and the Campbells have long harried "'and wasted those of my name. "'Aye, and got lands of us by treachery, "'but never with the sword,' "'he cried loudly, "'and with the word brought down his fist upon the table. "'But I paid the less attention to this, "'for I knew it was usually said "'by those who have the underhand. "'There's more than that,' "'he continued.' "'and all in the same story. "'Lying words, lying papers, "'tricks fit for a peddler, "'and the show of what's legal overall "'to make a man the more angry.' "'You that are so wasteful "'of your buttons,' said I, "'I can hardly think you'd be a good judge of business.' "'Ah?' "'says he, falling again to smiling. "'I got my wastefulness "'from the same man I got the buttons from, "'and that was my poor father, Duncan Stewart. "'Grace be to him. "'He was the prettiest man of his kindred.' And the best swordsman in the Highlands, David, and that is the same to say. In all the world, I should ken, for it was him that taught me. He was in the Black Watch when first it was mustered, and like other gentlemen privates, had a gilly at his back to carry his firelock for him on the march. Well, the King, it appears, was wishful to see Highland swordsmanship, and my father and three more were chosen out and sent to London town to let him see it at the best. So they were had into the palace, and showed the whole art of the sword for two hours at a stretch, before King George and Queen Carline and the Butcher Cumberland, and many more of whom I have in my mind. And when they were through, the king, for all he was a rank usurper, spoke them fair, and gave each man three guineas in his hand. Now, as they were going out of the palace, they had a porter's lodge to go by, and it came in on my father, as he was perhaps the first private highland gentleman that had ever gone by that door, "'it was right that he should give the poor porter "'a proper notion of their quality. "'So he gives the king's three guineas into the man's hand, "'as if it was his common custom. "'The three others that came behind him did the same, "'and there they were on the street, "'never a penny the better for their pains. "'Some say it was one, "'that it was the first to fee the king's porter, "'and some say it was another, "'but the truth of it is, "'it was Duncan Stewart, "'as I am willing to prove with either sword or pistol, "'and that was the father that I had.' God rest him. "'I think he was not the man to leave you rich,' said I. "'And that's true,' said Alan. "'He left me my breeks to cover me, and little besides. And that was how I came to enlist, which was a black spot upon my character at the best of times, and would still be a sore job for me if I fell among the redcoats.' "'What?' cried I. "'Were you in the English army?' "'That was I,' said Alan. "'But I deserted to the right side at Preston Pan's. "'and that's some comfort, at least. "'I could scarcely share this view, "'holding desertion under arms "'for an unpardonable fault in honour. "'But for all I was so young, "'I was wiser than say my thought. "'Dear, dear,' says I, "'the punishment is death.' "'Aye,' said he, "'if they got their hands on me, "'it would be a short shrift "'and a lang toe for Alan. "'But I had the King of France's commission "'in my pocket, "'which would aye be some protection.' "'I misdoubted much,' "'said I. "'And I have doubts myself,' said Alan, dryly. "'And good heaven, man!' cried I. "'You that are a condemned rebel, and a deserter, "'and a man of the French kings, "'what tempts you back into this country? "'It's a braving of providence.' "'Cut,' says Alan. "'I've been back every year since forty-six. "'And what brings you, man?' cried I. "'Well, you see, I weary for my friends and country,' said he. "'France is a broad place, no doubt, "'but I weary for the heather and the deer. "'And then I have a bit things that I attend to, "'whilst I pick up a few lads to serve the king of France. "'Recruits, you see, and that's I a little money. "'But the heart of the matter is the business of my chief, Ardshiel. "'I thought they called your chief Appin," said I. "'Aye, but Argyel is the captain of the clan,' said he, "'which scarcely cleared my mind. "'You see, David,' HE THAT WAS ALL HIS LIFE SO GREAT A MAN, AND COME of THE BLOOD AND BEARING THE NAME OF KINGS, IS NOW BROUGHT DOWN TO LIVE IN A FRENCH TOWN LIKE A POOR AND PRIVATE PERSON. HE THAT HAD FOUR HUNDRED SWORDS AT HIS WHISTLE, I'VE SEEN, WITH THESE EYES OF MINE, BUYING BUTTER IN THE marketplace place AND TAKING IT HOME IN A KALE-LEAF. THIS IS NOT ONLY A PAIN, BUT A DISGRACE TO US OF HIS FAMILY AND CLAN. THERE ARE THE Byrnes FAR BY, THE CHILDREN AND THE HOPE OF Appin. "'that must be learned their letters "'and how to hold a sword in that far country. "'Now the tenants of Appin "'have to pay a rent to King George, "'but their hearts are staunch, "'they're true to their chief, "'and what with love and a bit of pressure "'and maybe a threat or two, "'the poor folks scrape up a second rent "'for Ardshiel. "'Well, David, I'm the hand "'that carries that second rent.' "'And he struck the belt about his body "'so that the guineas rang. "'Do they pay both?' "'cried I. "'I, David, both,' says he. "'What? Two rents?' I repeated. "'I, David. I told a different tale to young captain-man, "'but this is the truth of it, "'and it's wonderful to me how little pressure is needed. "'But that's the handiwork of my good kinsman "'and my father's friend, James of the Glen. "'James Stewart, that is, Ardshiel's half-brother. "'He it is that gets the money in and does the management.' "'This was the first time I heard the name of that James Stewart.' "'who was afterwards so famous at the time of his hanging. "'But I took little heed at the moment, "'for all my mind was occupied with the generosity "'of these poor Highlanders. "'I call it noble,' I cried. "'I'm a Whig, or a little better. "'But I call it noble.' "'Aye,' said he, "'you're a Whig, but you're a gentleman, "'and that's what does it. "'Now if you were one of the cursed race of Campbell, "'you would gnash your teeth to hear tell of it. "'If you were the Red Fox,' and at that name his teeth shut together, and he ceased speaking. "'I've seen many a grim face, but never a grimmer than Alan's when he had named the Red Fox.' "'And who is the Red Fox?' I asked, daunted, but still curious. "'Who is he?' cried Alan. "'Well, and I'll tell you that. When the men of the clans were broken at Culloden, and the good cause went down, and the horses rode over the fetlocks in the best blood of the north,' Argyll had to flee like a poor deer upon the mountains. "'He and his lady and his bairns "'A sour job we had of it before we got him shipped, "'and while he lay in the heather, "'the English rogues that couldn't have come at his life "'were striking at his rights. "'They stripped him of his powers, "'they stripped him of his lands, "'they plucked the weapons from the hands of his clansmen "'that had borne arms for thirty centuries, "'ay, and the very clothes off their backs, "'so that it's now a sin to wear a tartan plaid.' And a man may be cast into a jail if he has but a kilt about his legs. One thing they couldna kill, that was the love of the clansmen bore their chief. These guineas are the proof of it. And now in there steps a man, a Campbell, red headed Colin of Glenure. Is that him you call the Red Fox? said I. Will ye bring me his brush? cries Alan fiercely. Aye, that's the man. In he steps, and gets papers from King George to be so-called king's factor on the lands of Appin, And at first he sings small, and is a hail-fellow well met with Seamus, that's James of the Glens, my chieftain's agent. But by and by, that came to his ears that I have just told you, and how the poor commons of Appin, the farmers and the crofters and the bowmen, were wringing their very plaids to get a second writ, and send it overseas for Ardshiel and his poor barons. What is it ye called it when I told you? "'I called it noble, Alan,' said I. "'And you little better than a common wig,' cries Alan. "'But when it came to Colin Roy, the black Campbell blood in him ran wild. "'He sat gnashing his teeth at the wine-table. "'What? "'Should a steward get a bite of bread, and him not be able to prevent it? "'Ah, Red Fox, if ever I hold you to gun's end, the Lord have pity upon you.' "'Alan stopped to swallow down his anger. "'Well, David, what does he do?' he declares all the farms to let, and thinks he, in his black heart, I'll soon get other tenants that overbid these Stuarts and Mackles, and meccals, and Macrobs, for those are all the names in my clan, David, and then, thinks he, Archie will have to hold his bonnet on a French roadside. Well, said I, what followed? Alan laid down his pipe, which he had long since suffered to go out, and set his two hands upon his knees. Aye, said he, you'll never guess that. For these same Stuarts and McColls, and Macrobs, that had two rents to pay, one to King George by stark force, and one to Ardshiel by natural kindness, offered him a better price than any campbell in all broad Scotland, and far he sent seeking them, as far as to the sides of Clyde and the cross of Edinburgh, seeking, and fleeching, and begging them to come, when there was a Stuart to be starved, and a red-headed hound of a campbell to be pleasured. "'Well, Alan,' said I, "'that is a strange story, and a fine one, too. "'And wig as I may be, I'm glad the man was beaten.' "'Him beaten?' echoed Alan. "'It's little ye ken of the Campbells, "'and less of the Red Fox. "'Him beaten? No, nor will be, "'till his blood's on the hillside. "'But if the day comes, David man, "'that I can find time and leisure for a bit of hunting, "'there grows not enough heather in all of Scotland "'to hide him from my vengeance.' "'Man, Alan,' said I, "'ye are neither very wise "'nor very Christian to blow off so many words of anger. "'They will do the man ye call the fox no harm, "'and yourself no good. "'Tell me your tale plainly out. "'What did he do next?' "'And that's a good observe, David,' said Alan. "'Truthin' indeed. "'They will do him no harm. "'The more's the pity. "'And barring that about Christianity, "'of which my opinion is quite otherwise, "'or I would be nigh Christian, "'I am much of your mind.' Opinion here or opinion there, said I. It's a Kent thing that Christianity forbids revenge. Aye, said he. It's well seen it was a campbell that taught ye. It would be a convenient world for them and their sort if there was no such thing as a lad and a gun behind a heather bush. But that's nothing to the point. This is what he did. Aye, said I, come to that. Well, David, said he, since he could not be rid of the loyal commons by fair means, HE SWORE HE WOULD BE RID OF THEM BY FOUL. ARGEIL WAS TO STARVE. THAT WAS THE THING HE AIMED AT. AND SINCE THEM THAT FED HIM IN HIS EXILE WOULD NOT BE BOUGHT OUT, RIGHT OR WRONG, HE WOULD DRIVE THEM OUT. THEREFORE HE SENT FOR LAWYERS, AND PAPERS, AND RED COATS TO STAND AT HIS BACK. AND THE KINDLY FOLK OF THAT COUNTRY MUST ALL PACK AND TRAMP EVERY FATHER'S SON OUT OF HIS FATHER'S HOUSE, AND OUT OF THE PLACE WHERE HE WAS bred AND FED, AND PLAYED WHEN HE WAS A CALANT. AND WHO WERE TO SUCCEED THEM? "'bare-legged beggars. "'King George is to whistle for his rents. "'He mound out with less. "'He can spread his butter thinner. "'What cares Red Cullen? "'If he can hurt Ardshiel, "'he has his wish. "'If he can pluck the meat from my chieftain's table "'and the bit toys out of his children's hands, "'will he gang home singin' to Glenure? "'Let me have a word,' said I. "'Be sure. "'If they take less rents, "'be sure government has a finger in the pie.' "'It's not this Campbell's fault, man. "'It's his orders. "'And if ye killed this Colin tomorrow, "'what better would ye be? "'There would be another factor in his shoes, "'as fast as Spur can drive.' "'You're a good lad in a fight,' said Alan. "'But, man, you have Whig blood in you.' "'He spoke kindly enough, "'but there was so much anger under his contempt "'that I thought it was wise to change the conversation. "'I expressed my wonder how, "'with the highlands covered with troops "'and guarded like a city in a siege.' a man in his situation could come and go without a "'It's easier than you would think,' said Alan. "'A bare hillside, you see, is like all one road. If there's a sentry at one place, you just go by another. And then the heather's a great help. And everywhere there are friends' houses and friends' byres and haystacks. And besides, when folk talk of a country covered with troops, it's but a kind of byword at the best. A soldier covers nigh mair of it than his boot soles.' "'I have fished a water with a sentry "'on either side of the bray, "'and killed a fine trout, "'and have sat in a heather bush "'within six feet of another, "'and learned a real bonny tune "'from his whistling.' "'This was it,' said he, "'and he whistled me the air. "'And then besides,' he continued, "'it's no say-bed now as it was in forty-six. "'The highlands are what they call "'passive hide, small wonder "'with never a gun or a sword "'left from Cantire to Cape Wrath. "'But what seventeen folk "'have hidden in their thatch?' "'But what I would like to ken, David, is just how long. "'Not long, he would think, with men like Ardshiel in exile, "'and men like the Red Fox sitting burling the wine "'and oppressing the poor at home. "'But it's a kiddle thing to decide what folk will bear "'and what they will not. "'Or why would Red Colin be riding his horse "'all over my poor country at happened, "'and never a pretty lad to put a bullet in him?' "'And with this, Alan fell into a muse, "'and for a long time stayed very sad and silent.' I will add the rest of what I have to say about my friend, that he was skilled in all kinds of music, but principally pipe music, was a well-considered poet in his own tongue, had read several books both in French and English, was a dead shot, a good angler, and an excellent fencer with the small sword, as well as with his own particular weapon. For its faults, they were on his face, and I now knew them all. But the worst of them, his childish propensity to take offense and to pick quarrels, he greatly lay aside in my case, out of regard for the battle of the roundhouse. But whether it was because I had done well myself, or because I had been a witness of his own much greater prowess, is more than I can tell. For though he had a great taste for courage in other men, yet he admired it most in Alan Brick. Thanks for joining us today for these three chapters from Kidnapped by Robert Louis Stevenson. Please do share our show with a friend. We would appreciate that very much. And please do send us a review, especially you Apple listeners, for 1001 Stories for the Road. Until next week, Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Everybody, everyone, stay safe. And we'll be back soon.